We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're down to verse 16, but we're going to comment a little bit on the previous verses. In the previous verse, Paul rehearses the evil deeds of the Jewish religious leaders in Judea. They persecuted, he said, the Old Testament prophets. Well, he said the prophets, that's where they were. They murdered Christ, and they blackmailed Pilate into killing Jesus. They even lie today, the Jewish people. We didn't kill Jesus. They'll defend themselves and their hypocrisy. But when people go back and study, only the Roman governor had authority to put to death people. The Jews did not have that authority, but they blackmailed Pilate and said, if you don't kill him and do what we want, crucify him, we'll complain to Caesar. Well, he had already been in trouble. So that's when he washed his hands and says, this man's innocent and I'm innocent, which he wasn't. He was a coward. So he let them and he proceeded to crucify him because that's what the Jews wanted. They were the only ones after him. Pilate wanted to let him go and thought he was an innocent person, uh, the crimes that they came. So again, they add to their great sins uh, hypocrisy. They're not a chosen special people. A lot of hypocrites and false Christians don't know Scripture. The only ones that are chosen and elect are Jews that come to the Lord. They have the special covenant relationship, and they're the remnant. It's not the pagan ones that crucified Christ and agnostic and vain. They're just like the people of the world, the Gentiles, and they go into the same place that the wicked Gentiles will go. And real quickly, remember, Jesus didn't have much to say good about the Pharisees and scribes. He called them blind leaders, hypocrites, murderers. He didn't mince no words with them. It's a marvel other than God's grace that they didn't try to kill him earlier, but he knew how at certain times to avoid them. But he said, they shall come from the east and the west and the south, the Gentiles, and they will sit with Abraham in the kingdom. See, he's the father of faith to the Jew. He was the first Jew and to the Gentiles. Okay, God made him the foundation. And But what did he say about the people of Israel over all the generations? He said, but the children of the kingdom, that's the Jews, they will be cast into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So most of them are going to hell like most of the wicked Gentiles are. They have no, they abuse their gifts and their privileges and God holds them ex exceedingly responsible for this and for murdering the Lord of glory. Okay, and so not only they put him to death, they persecuted the apostles and disciples. He states that they're not pleasing to God. Well, when a person's not pleasing to God, they're not going to make it into the kingdom. Even John says, if you want God to hear prayers, you do those things that please him. Please God means to obey and follow him and do his will. This is what it means. It doesn't mean to have some sentimental thought about him being a Santa Claus or him loving you unconditionally because that's not scripturally sound. The only love God has unconditionally, he has goodwill for the wicked people and it says he doesn't wish any of them 
to perish or go to hell. That they would turn and repent. But he has no covenant love. And those who don't turn to him and reject the gospel, the scripture says, and Jesus said, the wrath of God remains on them. Wrath is indignation, anger, and displeasure. Even Psalm says he despises the wicked soul. Even when they are dying at times, the excessively wicked, he says in their fear, he'll mock them. This is the wrath of God people don't want to talk about. And this is what Jesus has saved the Christian from, the day of wrath, when Christ himself will sit at the white throne judgment because he is the Father and the Son. There's only one throne, and all judgments are committed to the Son, and he's going to consign them. Remember the multitudes, many claim to be Christian. He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you cursed of my father into everlasting punishment. But they were saying, Lord, Lord, they believed he was the son of God. Well, we have two billion of them today. But he said he never knew them. It means they, the ones he's talking to, were never really born again. They were never regenerated. They never followed the Lord or was led of the Spirit. They had religiosity. Okay. So they were the meanest hypocrites, and they misrepresented God to the Gentiles. Even God through prophecy, through the prophets, he said, the Gentiles blaspheme me because of the way you live. See, they were supposed to represent, but they despised the Gentiles. You know, they don't have nothing to do with them. They were wicked at their heart as a whole. Most of them were false, and their religion was false. And God had no, he was storing up wrath and he's going to visit it on them. They were would not escape because they misrepresented God. And Paul said they were contrary to all men. They not only despised the Gentiles, they didn't want the Christians preaching to the Gentiles. They didn't want them saved, even if they thought it was the truth. They thought they were cursed dogs. See, they went totally. They thought they were special and privileged. And Jesus says, your father's the devil. No wonder they were provoked with him. He meant no words. He says, you're thieves and adulterers and robbers and make a pretense by your long prayers. That's hypocrisy, okay? So they not only forbid Paul, remember there's a large Jewish community at Thessalonica, and they were the ones that were giving Paul all the trouble. They stirred up the government officials, and he had to leave earlier than he planned. But he had converts uh, by the time he left, and we'll see that they were doing well. So they were contrary to all men. They don't want us to preach to the Gentiles. They considered cursed even the common Jewish people. Remember when the blind man was healed, and he talked about how he's healed? Well, the Jews said, well, the people are cursed. They don't know the law. Well, if they don't, it's because you are a hypocrite and didn't teach them. But Jesus had an interesting thing to say about that to the scribes and Pharisees and priests. He said, you lay aside the word of God, he said, for your traditions. And he said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? It was rhetorical. You can't. You can't escape the damn if you keep doing this. And that's what they did. Uh -huh. There were 49 to 50 or so rules, ceremonies and stuff that God required under Moses. By the time Jesus came along, there were 600 and some. 
So they add it all, and he says, you forgot mercy and kindness. And he's the desires, obedience. That's what he told Saul. He desired obedience rather than sacrifice. Well, the king Saul was disobedient, but he still wanted to be religious. And even when God rejected him, he wanted Samuel to pray with him in front of all of his soldiers because he was afraid of their opinion. And he refused at first, but finally he went and stood. And so the soldiers would think he was right. And that was the last time Samuel saw him. And that's when God ripped the kingdom. But he himself said, I feared the people, what they thought, and he didn't obey God. He half obeyed. And that's what many people do. They only do what they want to do, but they say they've obeyed the Lord. Well, in the lake of fire, they go, remember these things. That's part of the punishment is the remorse and torment and the hopelessness that you're a wicked person. So the lake of fire is going to be a very unpleasant place for the wicked people. Okay? They were hypocrites. They misrepresented God. They were contrary to all men. They didn't even teach the common Jew. They used them and milked the widows for their inheritance and did what they did today, you know, with all the religious ministers. They merchandised people. All they were interested in is money and glory, and they haven't changed the people, the false teachers today. Okay. So now we'll go to 16 with 15. He tells them that part about not pleasing God, and they're hostile to all men. But in 16, it says, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. With the results, what is the consequences? They always fill up the measure of their sins. This means that God is remembering. See, he's just. Every idle word that a wicked person speaks, he's going to answer for it day of judgment. It's not going to be forgiven or forgotten. And that's why the least sin that a person does outside of Christ and doesn't stay with the Lord He's going to spend thousand years in hell for that one sin because he's going to live forever and ever and ever. And so eventually, every minor sin, they'll spend millions of years suffering God's holiness and wrath against it. So as Paul said, it's a terrible thing to come under the hands of a God of wrath. And he has not changed. See, people think Jesus did away with all that. Why, Jesus is going to be the eternal judge. He's the everlasting Father. He's the King of kings. He's one with the Father. He said, he sees me, sees the Father. Then he speaks through him. Every word he spoke after the Spirit came on him was the words of the Father. That's why they couldn't comprehend this because at the time they weren't filled with the Spirit and they were at a lower level. It was harder for them to grasp certain things. And sometimes they didn't apply themselves. And Jesus called his own apostles foolish at times. How long must I bear with you? When are you going to start listening? After three and a half years, you'd think they would have caught on to some of these things. Okay, But the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Okay, The wrath in the present form, he's given them over to lying spirits. That's the worst judgment God can do to a person here. 
People think God's going to strike people dead with lightning. He rarely does anything like that. He may bring down a person. As Paul said, those without Christ are out the body of Christ. That's God's business. He judges. So he decides when to raise up and when to raise down. But everybody will come to the day of judgment, and they'll be answering for a lot of things that God didn't judge them for in this life. But one of the worst judgments is to think you're a Christian or right with God and be speechless at the day of judgment and be consigned to the lake of fire, and then there's nothing that could be done about it. So that's the danger of resisting the spirit of truth. You turn you over to lying spirits. There's no vacuum. People argue, well, does he send them or allow them? It doesn't matter. The permissive will of God is God's will. And he sent evil spirits to King Saul. He sent evil spirits to other people. And they will do what they do by nature. And once the Spirit of the Lord removes his protection, people open themselves up. And sometimes it's a direct command that God uses them to punish people. That's his prerogative. Remember, it's his devil. And he keeps him around to the appointed time and then he will be cast into the lake of fire, where at that time the Antichrist and the false prophet will be. They'll already been there a thousand years or so because we got the millennium that's coming. And so the wrath of God, every idle word the wicked speak, and every good deed a Christian does in Christ's name and helping other Christians and to promote the kingdom, it will be remembered. Hebrews says, God is not unjust to forget the things you've done and ministered to the saints. He's talking about the living saints. So God would consider it unjust not to reward those who are in Christ Jesus. He forgives us our sins through Christ and rewards us through Christ. So we get all of these things by staying in Christ. So God measures their sin and he stores it up for some time, and finally for the day of judgment, whatever he's allowed to pass will not pass then. Will never be. People forget their evil and what they've done over decades. God does not if it's not been forgiven, if they're not in Christ Jesus. So the whole Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, the government, the nation, as a whole, okay, they will be destroyed within a few decades. So Paul's talking about the wrath that will come upon them. God has waited generations. He's put up with those hypocrites and false teachers and all this for generations. And he's only not destroyed them because of his promise to Abraham and David and the prophets that he will have some. And who were the some? It's the disciples that came to the Lord. The first six and eight years, it was only Jews that came to Christ. They laid the foundation. They are the elect. They are receiving the promises of Abraham and the prophets that God give the promise. But the others, only a remnant, and they are the remnant, will be saved. The other ones count as nothing but as wicked human beings, okay? And one day, as they store it up, it means accountability must come. Uh -huh. So in about 70 AD, 
Titus went after him. He was ordered by the Caesar to destroy him. So over the period of months, Jerusalem swelled to almost a million people. Usually only about 400,000 lived in the area and in Jerusalem. But they all came because the Romans were going to lay siege and take them into slavery. And so they resisted and put on, and they even mocked the Romans. And so when the Romans destroyed them, they said, even Titus, it was almost like demons came on. They butchered everybody. They showed no mercy. It was one of the worst times for the people, the Jewish race. And it was God's wrath upon them. He said, because you did not know or discern the day of my visitation. So he visited them through Christ and they murdered him. And God's going to take care of it. And he did. Uh-huh. And even Titus, it's recorded, stood outside the city as they were burning the temple and melting, stealing the gold and silver. He wanted the temple to be left alone and take the gold and silver, but they robbed it. They destroyed it. They burned. He couldn't control his own soldiers. And it's the story that he wept as he saw the temple being burnt because he didn't want it destroyed. He wanted to be a, under the Roman power. And that's what happened when demons took over and God sent them and God's full measure and wrath were visited upon them. Those who were not killed were sold into slavery. Even the historians will tell us uh, at the time there was possibly 30 to 40,000 people who claimed to be Christians. And they left the city a month or two before the destruction because not only the Lord warned them in Matthew, their prophets told them time to leave. And they were not destroyed when the Jews were destroyed. They were covered and protected by the Lord. Okay, So we see the most extreme wrath came on them to the fullest measure, never been done that way in their history. And like we say, out of three quarters to a million Jews, they were either killed, half of them, or they were sent into slavery throughout the Roman Empire. Okay? So God finally decided to visit them for their sins. And he decided to deal with them. And he destroyed the religious system, the governmental system. He wiped them out. And that was his intention for they misrepresented him, okay? So we're seeing, but God looks after his own. They say one of the miracles, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he even wrote that it was said that a few weeks or a month before the city was finally destroyed and it was sieged a second time. In between those two times it was sieged, they left to go fight the Syrians and then they came back. And during that time, they say in the middle of the night, the gates of the city opened automatically and the Christians were told it's time to leave. And they left. See, that's the time they got out. And then when the the Romans came back, they fought and they mocked them. They did everything to provoke. They didn't surrender. And so they provoked them so much that the Romans showed no mercy on man, woman, or child. They butchered them all. And it's called the wrath of God. See, he'll turn people over to demonic powers. He did it to King Saul, sent the evil spirit to torment him when the spirit of the Lord left him. Okay. 
Now, 17, but we, we apostles, we came to preach to you, brethren, we have been taken away from you for a short while. They were driven out by the authorities. Not only the Jews got the secular authorities to make them leave, they're troublemakers, and we don't like them. And, and they had a large Jewish community which had influence. And so they were driven out and persecuted out before they wanted to go. They wanted to spend more time evangelizing and teaching these people. Okay. So he said what? He said, we were, but in person, not in spirit. He said, we were still with you in our heart. We had to leave physically, but we remembered you, okay? And we are all the more eager with desire to see your face or to come in person. Uh, we plan and have been planning to do, okay? Now he returns to address this, that we were driven out by the authorities, by the Jews' influence. But we did not want to leave. We wanted to abide with you a while. Verse 18, and we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, some translations, even Paul. See, he uses his apostolic authority. I'm the apostle to the Gentile. You're special to me. I wanted to come back. I just didn't want to send a representative. I didn't want to leave. So he was telling them, you are my foundation. You are the proof of my apostleship. So he was saying, even I, more than once, he said, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. And that we find happens in all spiritual warfares and lie. Things are not walkover victories. Things are not just naming it and claiming it. And there's opposition. It always is in the spirit realm. This is the devil's world as far as the political and religious system. He's the God of this world. So when a Christian proclaims the kingdom, increases the kingdom of God by their presence, he is provoked. And so he fights back. He doesn't let them walk over. And God gives the Christian the boldness and grace to persist under persecution. And that's the way it happens, okay? But Satan hindered us, okay? Christian service and duty are often slowed and even stopped if the Christian does not persevere in spiritual warfare and prayer. See, people talk and talk and talk. That's not enough. When God sends help, it's true, the Christian. And so he's not all betrayed, just going to do stuff. And anything in Christianity that's worth pursuing is the only thing that's true. Like they say, if the gospel's so cheap, if it's not worth suffering for, then it's a, a vain gospel. And that's basically what the Lord told us. He said, the world will hate you. Well, we saw what they did to him. And he said, they will do some of that to you too. They'll hate you because you're like me. You don't live and let live. You promote righteousness, and wicked people don't like that. They don't want to be corrected, reproved, and told they're wicked. But God does. He warns them consistently that the lake of fire, eternity, is waiting for them if they don't turn. But he doesn't often persist on that. Uh, after he gives a few warnings, when they show they're not interested, he doesn't keep threatening them. 
See, he's not interested in people coming to the Lord because they're just afraid of hellfire. That's a bonus. He wants people to come and live righteously and want to serve the Lord. And when they're born again, they have a new man that delights to do this, and the old man still fights with him. And so the will decides which one. So the scripture and epistles appeal to the will of the Christian to do this and not to do that. It's not automatic. It's not irresistible, as heretics might teach. If it was irresistible grace, every person that's born again would never sin consciously again in his life. And we know that hasn't happened in a while huh? since Christ. See? No, their temptation's not removed. The old man still wants to live the evil life. And that's why we're tempted. And until we're raptured or we die in the Lord, the old man's there to fight with us. But he's left behind. When the mortal puts on immortality, the old man doesn't go. That influence dies. The influence of the original sin, of the Adamic nature, does not go. But here in this probation, God gives us responsibility and power to overcome it. And this is what Jesus meant, he that overcomes. person doesn't overcome this world and resist the desires of the wicked fallen nature, they will not make it into the kingdom of God. They will not have proven their loyalty and their faithfulness, okay? And again, the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem are made of pearl. A pearl is made from suffering. And it's saying the way into the kingdom is a way of suffering and tribulation. The true Christian has to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil until his life appointed time is over. And he must endure to the end. And God gives him everything he needs where if he does not do it and purposely yield to it, it's not going to be done. Okay? Let's go to Daniel, talking about hindering prayers, the devil. When Daniel was seeking, Daniel 10, when he was seeking wisdom on the end times and the Jewish people, what was going to happen to them, he was praying and fasting for 21 days. But it says something we need to read. The angel appeared to him, and he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come here because of your word. The first day. But he didn't stop praying until he was assured of the answer or until it was answered. Okay, and he kept praying. But the angel tells us, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, it's believed that it's a demonic spirit, he withstood me for 21 days. This is the angel of God. People believe it was Gabriel, the messenger of God, is often sent. One of the chief princes. And yet he was withstood by a strong demonic spirit or a fallen angel. Could have been Satan himself. Because look who contest with him. But behold, Michael. Now it's interesting, it says one of the chief princes. Many people say because he's the archangel, he's the highest of the angels. Scripture doesn't say that. He said he's one of the chief princes, which implies there are others. Okay? So we're not told. We've only been told two names. Oh, I know in the old 
the books that the Catholics accept, the Jews and Protestants reject. They were written before the New Testament, and even the Jews did not find most of them sound other than some history in it. They named four or five other angels, but the Scripture never does. So you figure there's a reason for that. Angels are guardians, and they help us, but they do not commit familiar conversation. They're such a high being that most people would begin to want to worship them because they're so much like God, they would fascinate them, and he doesn't want them. Remember, because the Lord your God is a jealous God. He does not want our attention to be focused on a relationship with the angel. They come to deliver judgments, warnings, encouragement, and most of their work we never comprehend what they're doing in providence. But he said, Michael, one of the chief princes come to help me, for I had been left alone. Uh But now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days to come. So here we have possibly Gabriel, an archangel, a chief prince of the angel. He's being held and cannot move for 21 days. And finally, Michael, he was usually the one that deals directly uh, with the devil himself. He came and removed him. Now remember, we hear in Jude that when Moses died, the devil wanted his body, probably to make an idol so they'd worship it. And it said God buried him. No one knows where he was buried. See, God didn't want them digging the body up and worshiping it and making it a shrine like the Catholic people do over dead people. That's nowhere in Scripture. But the Bible says when he contended with the devil, he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't carry on a familiar conversation. One time in the past eons, Lucifer was the covering chair of the devil. Michael may have been under him to some degree. And he just simply says, the Lord Jehovah rebuke you. And he forbids him to mess with the body of Moses. So it appears the strongest and most gifted angel dealt with the devil himself. And finally, Gabriel was allowed to deliver his message. So perseverance. Many people pray, but their praying is wishing and thinking and verbalizing, but they don't put any feet to their prayers. They think it has to be easy and pleasant. Nothing is easy and pleasant in this world. Everything there is a labor to, and in spiritual things it applies also. So many people don't last, and therefore certain prayers don't get answered. Even James says, you ask and have not because you want to Selfish prayers, he said. You consume upon your own desires. Uh And he said, that's why you don't get no answer. Even when you do ask God, he don't answer you. See, he doesn't answer selfish prayers. And most of the prayers of even beginning Christians is coveting and selfish and self-oriented. They've not sought the will of God. They've not learned contentment in their lot. They're always seeking, they think God's going to give them a better lot in this world. That doesn't always happen, okay? So in 19, for who is our hope of joy and our crown of exalting? Is it not even you? 
in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. So Paul and apostles, they gave up everything. He said, I count everything as dung, as worthless, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and his power. So they gave up, turned their back on the world. They had nothing basically that they valued other than for using for the kingdom. Uh But he said, you are our jewel and you are the one that survive and go on with the Lord. You'll be there at the day of the Lord and there'll be proof of our apostleship. You were the ones we fathered in the Lord. So we'll get a reward for that. It will remind us of what our ministry is. So they didn't help too much in the present age because they'd given up everything. Yet you converts are our joy and crown of success. You standing in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you are proof of our apostleship and ministry. Okay? 20, he repeats that, for you are our glory and joy, the proof of our ministries. We led you into the way. We planted and watered, and God gave the increase and redeemed you and regenerated you, and we are teaching you how to stay with the Lord and be overcomers. They didn't believe in once saved, always saved. They didn't believe, oh, it don't matter, at least they're saved. You don't find that in any Christian apostolic teaching. They began by leading them to the Lord through repentance and confession of sin, and they showed them you must continue in the Lord. You must continue in his grace and faith. You must continue, for through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. And if you don't continue, you die again spiritually. See, they don't want to talk about that. All the false teachers have easy believism. Just say this little prayer, and you don't have to worry about anything. They're going to be in a deeper hell with the hypocrite, the false teachers. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, when we could not endure it any longer, we thought it best that as we were left behind Athens, verse 2, we would send Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith or your Christianity. Okay. So he's saying we could not endure not knowing what happened as we were driven out. So we want to find out your progress. So I sent Timothy. He's called a fellow laborer in Christ, a brother, a minister for Christ. Timothy was converted by Paul. He had grown in the Lord. This is several years later, and he's a fellow preacher and teacher of the gospel. Paul calls him brother. He calls him son, adopted son, dearly beloved son. So he has a personal relationship to him also. So what did he do? Paul could not come in person. He sent the next best thing. He sent Timothy. Okay, And Timothy was gifted also, without evangelism, but other gifts, because Paul laid hands on him through prophecy. And it's believed later, some say he may have been the bishop of Ephesus at one time, an apostle to them, basically as Titus and some other, they were the ones he matured in the Lord 
and they took over. They were mature enough to do these things. So he said he's going to come and find out what state you're in. He's going to teach you further, encourage you, reprove you. He's going to correct you in the soundness of what Christianity truly is, that you've got to move on from the baby stage. And we say, and he was capable of doing this. Timothy basically was not only an evangelist, he probably was a teacher. And according to the early church, he may have had the gift of prophecy. He may have been a prophet, a New Testament prophet like Barnabas was, and Silas, and some others. Co-workers often with Paul, okay? So that no one, while we want to find out where your faith is and what's left, see, he expected by normalcy that everywhere he went, he'd get converts, and when he'd come back, some of them would forsake the Lord. Some would move on, some wouldn't. So he was prepared to deal with those who were falling away, those who were falling back into sin, they would be reproved and warned. And those who were following the Lord, they would be encouraged and blessed by his presence and his enlightenment. So that's how Christianity works. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you selves, you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. What everybody talks about their destiny, a Christian's destiny is often tribulation and affliction in this world. That is often the proof. Now, when you go to church or a church building, there ain't many churches nowadays. The church is two or more Christians serving the Lord and worshiping. And now it's getting darker and darker. But they're there. Uh We're destined for the Lord. We're destined to a walk of conflict, pilgrimage, and warfare. That's part of being a Christian. So when people talk about being a king's kid and everything being blessed in this world, they're deceived. They're into covetousness and false prosperity and worldliness. They're into mammon, the god of mammon, and they can't serve him and God. But that's what's popular today. Let's go ahead and take a break now.